Before we come to the word, let me update you on Jeanette. I hope I didn't confuse you all, <laughs> saying to, 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 to pray for her, to go to be with the Lord. Let, let me explain the entire scenario so that we're all on the same page. And theologically, you're able to cope with where we're at, both now and in the future. Very difficult thing to explain, I guess, because it's complex. Um, I'm going to try and do it in three minutes. Uh, how can I begin? Within the church, there's a group of people called the faith camp. Those who believe in the word of God. That's us. We're people of faith. But within the church, there's also a group called hyperfaith. Hyperfaith is wrong. Hyperfaith go, they only want good news all the time. There's never any trouble, never any persecution. That's hyperfaith. Abraham is the father of faith. So when God said to Abraham, Sarah was going to have a child, the Bible says Abraham uh, accepted the fact that Sarah's body was old. Remember? Okay? Accepting the fact that Sarah's body was old, yet in faith believed. That's faith. That's us. But hyperfaith, they say, no, she's not old. Do you understand? They won't accept the reality of life. They only want one thing, and it's always got to be good. And there's a certain verbiage, there's a certain language that go with hyperfaith people. They tend to watch TV a lot, and that's where they get their stuff. You have to be careful of television, because television need to raise money, lots of money. And if you listen to too much TV, you end up in hyperfaith. Hyperfaith. You end up with your theology being twisted to an unrealistic perspective on life and definitely on theology it's not just faith it's also grace there's the grace camp that's us we believe in grace we believe that grace is god's empowerment of us to live and walk the christian life amen god will give you the grace to sustain you but the hyper grace camp well they believe that they can live whatever they way they want because that's grace. you understand the difference so hyper faith has got no place in reality Hypergrace has got no place. It's the same with salvation. Some people, when they're evangelizing, they always have to drag someone through the sinner's prayer. I don't need to do that. I'm happy to sow a seed, right? Because I've got faith that God will see the person through. But someone with hyperfaith, they actually don't have faith. That's the reality. People in hyperfaith actually have no faith, and so they feel that they have to do everything all the time because they're not believing and trusting God. And so I I mention all that just so that you've got got some sort of understanding about life and death. Because every person in this room is going to die. 100% of you are going to die. Sorry about that, but you are. There are no exceptions. Gordon, shh. There are no exceptions. We will all die. And so you need to accept that. We need to accept life and death. Death is as natural as life. Right? Amen? Don't be afraid of it. So what happened with Jeanette there about one month ago, no more, six or seven weeks ago, she stopped eating. In fact, she didn't eat for 14 days. No solids. And we couldn't get fluids in. So I was going in when I was here, I was going in two or three times a day, trying to get fluids into her mouth. But she is stubborn. It wasn't stubbornness. It was the Pick's disease shutting down that part of her brain that operates her mouth. Uh, and the part that made her hungry. So she didn't feel hungry. And she started to waste away. But worse than that, she wouldn't go to bed. So she wouldn't lie down. So then her legs became one and a half times the size. Then they began to break out in sores because that's what happens when you don't lie down. You have to lie down or all the blood runs to your legs and you start to swell. 
Then she got infections, etc., etc. And then she's doubly incontinent anyway at the moment. So you, ha- you understand the situation. She turned her head, she, she, but she's still lucid. She still can be very sharp and still, especially with me, she tends to just waffle with other people. But when I get her on her own, she kind of comes back, you know. And she looks at me. And in a terrible state, she looked at me. And I know Jeanette very well. She looked at me and she said, Dad, better I go to the Lord now. You know? And I said to her, you know, I've got no problem with that. I've got no problem. If you don't want to live like this, I can understand that. Okay? There's a time her mother was in our house. And her mother was dying of cancer in the bed, in the dining room. And the family were praying, pray for a miracle. Absolutely. I prayed for her yesterday. I prayed for total healing for her yesterday. I laid my hands upon her yesterday. I said, God, you know, bring her back, bring her back. Right? But at the same time, um, Abraham, accepting that the body was whole, yet in faith believed. It's not a contradiction. You understand? So I will pray for that healing and pray for that healing. But at the same time, I will say, Lord, she, she wants to go to be with you. We don't want that. Right? I don't want that. I'd be delighted to take her out. I tried to take her out many times. I took her out twice this week, actually. So I keep on attempting in faith to see her walk and to see her do stuff. But, I mean, I tell you, she nearly died one day. I brought her home. I thought she was going to go into a fit. She started ticking and stuff. So I took her back because I can't handle that. If she went into a fit, I don't know if I could bring her back. She's got this twitch that she goes into, you know. So it's a kind of a funny situation. So... When I brought it to the RMDs, that was very helpful for me because those guys have a lot of experience. I mean, Julius, Pastor Julius has 5,000 churches and I know there's been at least 11 resurrections from the dead. So these are men who are not unaccustomed to miracles. They know power, real power. And so when I put it to the team, the consensus was pray to the Lord that she go to be with him and be at peace and not suffer like this or completely heal her. One or t'other, but not the middle. And I, I just want you to understand the theology behind it. That's all. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, at a certain point, when the suffering was over, what did he say? Into your hands? Exactly. He, he gave up the ghost. He didn't hold on to it. But as human beings, it's quite natural because we love the people. We want to keep them on earth. And we can be hyper-faith. We can, we can really think of the thing, not, whole, you know, not the whole story. And then our prayers are wrong. So right now, every time I see her, I pray for complete healing. But also, I say, Lord, but if you want to take her, then take her and don't let her suffer on like this. Because it's not Jeanette. Uh, you know, she can cry at the moment. She gets up about 5.30. Uh, but she can cry from 5.30 in the morning till 12 o'clock at night. She can cry for the entire day. So that is not a good situation to be in. So I leave you to pray whatever prayer you want in your own way. Feel completely comfortable to do so. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your endless prayer, and I also appreciate your perspective on it. So you can pray whatever way God leads you to pray. I diversify my prayer depending on what I see at any given time. So that's our situation. Her brother was here this week, and her daughter's coming next week, I think it is. And we just try and take her out. But praise the Lord, we took her out this week, and it was fantastic. We had good fun. She gets cheeky. <laughs> she's full of, she was kicking my car. <laughs> Stop it in my car! Because she didn't want to wear a seatbelt. So she's, full, she's still got that spark in there and, and dynamism, which is fantastic. So thank you guys. Any questions, feel free to talk to me later. Have you got your notes? Yeah? This is a kind of a, a timely word and an important word for us. I, I waited nearly a whole day to get this this week. It's something we've looked at before. But I want to look at it in in a slightly different perspective. 
It's about you and your, your calling in life. Let me read before we start. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Let me read from verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. This is Paul the Apostle talking to Timothy, his disciple. Paul is obviously a very mature pastor. Timothy is a young pastor coming into ministry. And Paul writes to him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. I'm reading from New King, uh, King James. Be, thou, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us, and what? And called us with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his grace and purpose. So I want to just make that the, 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 the focus of our uh, study this morning and, and the, the prophetic this morning. Eyes forward, please. Look at me. Timothy is a young pastor who's feeling very insecure. He doesn't know, actually, if he's called. He's doing the function of the ministry. He's in new territory. And he has question marks going on at the back of his mind. Thinking he, Timothy thinks, I know that Paul's called. I know that Paul's an apostle. I can see that because of all the power in his life. But I don't know if I'm called. And Paul writes back to him. It's in Greek, not in English. And Paul writes back to him. And he says, don't be afraid of that kind of mindset, Timothy. Don't you know that we are all called? And he doesn't just say, Timothy's called. It's Timothy, don't you realize it's not just you, but the word in the Greek is a collective. Don't you know that everybody's called? We're all in this together. But few are selected, or few are chosen. Few people break through to the very end of that training process, which Timothy is in, to actually enter into the true fullness of their calling. And I, it, it really gripped me, that scripture, over the last little while, because I, I, I've been through this, you know, I understand it from personal experience. And you guys, particularly in Brenda, are, are currently in the, the process of, of, of seeing that through. People think you're, you know, God touches your life one day and that's it, you're in ministry. It's not just like that, you know. Not just like that. Everyone is called to something. We're all called by God. But just because you're called doesn't mean that you're selected. It doesn't, or the word, you know, the word is chosen in your Bible. Because actually, in the Greek, selected is a better way of putting it. Because people stop. They get distracted by life. They go after the things of the world or they compromise. And they don't finish the race. They don't finish the challenge. They don't get there. And so they don't end up being selected for whatever purposes or comes their way. And, and life doesn't pass you by. Oh, you live life to its fullness, but not the life that God has as, as an A plan. Are you with me? We're all called, folks. Every single one of us. And that was Paul's point. Don't underestimate yourself, Timothy. It is very easy for us to read a line in Scripture where the Apostle John is described as what? The apostle whom Jesus loved. So he hated the other ones, did he? So he loves John more than, does he? No. Remember. Remember the light we showed you here. It's very important, folks. You've got 12 apostles. Right? And they're all really thinking with their mind, if you like. But the apostle John had a different perspective on God and himself. And the apostle John knew that he could bring himself into a place 
where he could freely enjoy the love of God. John changed his mind on God. God, uh, John changed his mind and that changed his actions. And John basked all his life in the love of God. The other twelve just didn't get it. They didn't realize. They were all called. (laughs) You're all called. We can all get to that place. There's no favoritism in this regard with God. Rather, the blockage is definitely on our part. But our thinking, and particularly our subject for today, comparison stops us from growing. It stops churches from growing. And if I may say to you folks directly, comparison is stopping you from growing. You say, no, it's not. Let me finish. I'll ask you again in 20 minutes and see if you still think it's not. Because I guarantee you that it is. And person after person, who God put his hand upon to grow, (laughs) as you'll see, person after person, the first thing God deals with in them is their perspective of themselves. The way they were seeing themselves and the limitation they were putting on themselves. Everybody's born again here, right? So your spirit is born again. So here's a question for you. What happened to your mind... The day that you got born again. Jesus. You know. You should know better. You're like babies. Honestly. You are. You're like babies. I've put this on the screen. I've written books about it. I've handed them to you. And you still don't know it. You're like children. No wonder you're stuck the way you are. I've told you a thousand times. We did series on it. This very series. Hearts and Minds. Are you listening? Are you actually here? Or are you thinking about dinner? Are you here this morning? Listen then. What happened to your mind when you were born again is nothing. Nothing happened to your mind. Your mind didn't change. So here's these apostles. They're born again. But they've still got this old mindset. And so they never enter the fullness. Do you understand? And it's the same for you and the same for me. If you're not careful, the only thing that will happen to you is to get saved. Instead of entering into the things and the plans of God, the only thing that will be in your life is actually salvation. Salvation was always intended to be the start. And then we enter into the the wonderful plan that the scripture says, you can't even dream it up. The plan that God has is beyond your possibility of imagination. Amen. Amen. But we get stuck in this mindset. So in the past, three times I think over the last 11 years since I've been here, I I explained to you the necessity of changing my mindset. Because in the Old Testament, they they were accepted and they were changed by their actions. Remember? If you do this, I will do that. If you do that, I will do this. The Old Covenant was action based. And it was acceptable to God. We still have actions that we must fulfill, but the new covenant is what? (laughs) Thought-based. Thought-based. So, and then it follows to an actions. An Old Testament believer was held accountable for what they did. You, as a new covenant believer, you're held accountable for what you do, but also what you think. That's the difference in the two. You understand? Look at me. (laughs) Twelve people with action on their mind, but they need to change their mind. And only one does, John. Only one actually got the point, changed his perspective of himself, and ended up entering, if you like, the fullness of me. He was the only one who wasn't martyred. 
Right? And I pray, folks, in this day in which we live, that you don't miss the moment, miss the opportunity, because it's a, it's a very, very sad thing. The book of Romans, when Paul gets to his conclusion, in Romans chapter 8, remember, therefore, it's his conclusion, therefore, do you get it? You will only be transformed by the renewing of your mind when you change the way you're thinking of yourself, and particularly this nasty, sneaky thing up here, uh, the, the, the whole comparison trap. I, I have been as guilty as anybody else. This trap caught me and had me bound for many years, but I think I broke it in one of my fast times when I was up a mountain on my own. I think that's really the time that this trap was sprung, and I've never been the same since. It, um, I altered, I changed as a person. One of the problems that we have is you may live your life based on comparison and not even know it. And if we ask you for you don't know it until you have an opportunity. Opportunities, challenges, reveal who you are. Okay? Without the opportunity, we as leaders or you as a Christian, you never really know what's in you or how you will respond. If we ask for a new singer for the worship team, you know, the first thing that people will say, I can't sing like Nisha. It is. It's the, the, the first thing they do is what? <laughs> they compare. They compare themselves. And the Apostle Paul says, when you compare yourselves with yourselves, you are not doing very well this morning, guys. <laughs> you are foolish. You are foolish. It is foolishness. It is, it's, it's the way of the world. It's the way of the world. You do not compare yourself with, yourself, with, with, with ourselves. That is a trap and it will actually get you nowhere. Now the world has a very twisted way of assessment. Could I have my next slide please? The world has a, that's, uh, just one back I think. Uh, there's a missing one. Maybe it didn't come down from the previous one. It's got family, money, education. I want you to see this. Family, money, education. That's it. I want you to get something this morning, folks. The world has a very definite criteria for giving you your value. The world will assess you based on your family, the amount of money, the amount of education, social class and looks. Now, family, for example, if you come from a good stock, if you come from a good family, then that's a good thing. That's a worthy thing. And you're probably going to have a future. But you know what, folks? There are many people from good families who are not good people. And there are many people, many, from bad families who made a great change in this world. Right? So your family and your history does not have to be any sense of, of, of retarding anything God has to do. That's just the way the world thinks. But these things, we enter into comparison and then we get stuck. The amount of money you have doesn't make you better than other people. Amen? Oh, yes. I saw this happen in Dublin when I lived there, and I'm seeing it happen now in London. Second generation, third generation money. In Ireland, the house, house properties went through the roof, and there was a lot of money passed down the generations. So the children ended up getting, you know, gazillions of money from their parents. That affected them. Money doesn't make you better. Hello? Money doesn't make you better. And in London right now, it's exactly the same thing is happening in the church. I, can, you know, I can't see it. I can feel it in the attitude of superiority. Because I've got money, I'm smart. No. Because I've got money, I'm better than you. No. That is repulsive. 
You see? And if we're not careful and we don't deal with this, we end up with people who are comparing themselves with each other by worldly standards. And this affects the way they're treated because they get shunned. But it also affects their own ability ultimately to become the people they need to be. Amen. We do not have this as our, as our criteria for assessment. Education. The world will say, if you're not smart enough, you can't do it. Well, if it was down to that, I would have done nothing with my life, I can tell you, because I've got no education whatsoever. Zero. I was a complete and utter disaster. And I'll tell you something. We're recording this, so we better, better be careful with this bit then. I mean, we have a lot of high-achieving academics here in this church. Amen? Some of them complete idiots. I'm serious. I've met some guys here with qualifications as long as a street. And they're fools, complete fools. Knowledge is not intelligence. Anybody can get knowledge if you're pushed by your parents enough. Because that's what it is. And then you think you're smart. No, you're not. You're just educated. You've just got knowledge. You've just got a qualification. You know what it's like. You go into some, some of the doctors. You look at them and think, that's uh, okay. I'll keep walking. <laughs> I'm fine now. I thought I was sick, but I'm okay now. You know? Education is not a criteria for any assessment, my friend. Are you with me? Education, it, it, do not be fooled by this. The Apostle Paul called his qualifications... Yeah. That's what he called them. He, he understood something. He understood what qualifications can do. Are you listening to me? Don't get your value from this list. Get your value from the Lord your God. Don't get your direction from the world. Get your direction from the one true God because you're going to be with Him forever. And all these things will disappear. Don't be foolish in this last moment of time. It's not your family. It's not the amount of money. It's not education. It's not social class. On one of the planes I was on, on one of the TV, they had this thing called TOFs. Have you seen that? It was terrible. It was awful. These guys who were born into an aristocratic family in England, oh, they were monsters. Terrible. Terrible. Absolutely disgraceful behavior. Goodness me, is that, is that what you call social class? I'll stay where I am, thanks. Terrible. And looks, looks are beauty skin deep, right? Amen. But this is the criteria of the world. And when I think of myself, okay, my family were not great. We didn't have money, I didn't have education, I didn't have social class. But at least, yeah, okay. Okay, let's move on. Hallelujah. Could I go back to the one with kids on it and teens and adults, please, Stephen? Take a look at this. The fact of the matter is, when we are growing up, the criteria should change. You cannot scold a child because they have value because they got a new toy. Kids get their value from what they have. Right? My new shoes, my new this, my new that. Adolescence, from what they do. It's the music that they listen to. It's the band that they're following. They express it in their dress. Right? Okay, it's a completely different thing. But look at the last one. We are supposed to not stay here. We should progress as adults to getting my value from who I am in comparison to no one. In comparison to no one. Very important. But the truth is, most of us, most of our members and all of our churches are actually stuck somewhere around here. Halfway out of their adolescence, but never quite entering the adulthood of maturity and 
that God can take a hold of them and use them. Now, I repeat, you will never break this cycle of endless comparison that keeps you paralyzed in your growth until you are faced with an opportunity. Opportunities are what reveal to us what's in us. The opportunity, the challenge, the new beginning, the new ministry, the new... That's where you find out who you really are. I'll give you an example. I had a friend, and he was a tall, dark, handsome guy. Really good-looking guy, very nice guy. And we couldn't find a wife for him. And one day, this girl walked in. I thought, That's, this is a good match right here. I'm a matchmaker. <laughs> this is a good match right here. So I got to know her. I went over to my friend. I said, hey, Steve, 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 Steve. Look, Steve, look. And Steve looked, and he walked around a little bit, and he came back to me. Do you know what he said to me? She's too good for me. Ah, yeah. Well, I was shocked. What? Ah, she's too good for me. I never would have known that that was in him had he not been presented. You see? And that's a flaw. Too good because of what? You are wrong, my friend. You are totally wrong. Too good because of what? What what made you... What mindset do you live in? You can't live with that mindset. You're putting yourself down. The fact is that guy was being presented with a growth moment. It's a growth point where he's going to have to face the challenge that his perspective of himself is very wrong. Growth is... Do you want to grow? Everybody want to grow? You want to grow as a Christian? You are growing. You are growing. This church is growing. It's just you don't get it. Because you don't know what growth is. You've got a fairy tale idea of growth. Ten years ago, Pastor Rick Seward, my boss, stepped down. And he was no longer my leader. This guy called Danny Han. Danny's not Rick. Completely different person. Rick is full of power. Danny's an administrator. And Danny doesn't answer my emails. (laughs) It's very frustrating, to be honest with you, following Danny for the last 10 years. But when Rick left, and I was stuck with Danny, now I'm growing. (laughs) Now I'm growing. Now I'm learning to obey. Now I'm learning to follow the leader. What's it called? Growth. It's called growth. But we don't recognize it. We don't recognize it. Instead, we enter into the comparison trap. And I could fall for it, and I could start comparing Danny with Rick. Do you know what? The sure telltale sign of an immature Christian is comparison. The telltale sign, I hope you're listening, when you compare, Paul says foolish, I'll say immature. The sure sign that you are an immature believer is when you are still comparing people with people. Right? Because that's what they do. That's what, you know, believers who have no foundation... They don't recognize growth and they get trapped in that. I have not got trapped in that. I don't expect Danny to be anything other than Danny. He is who he is. I accept that. And I will make the compensations. And as I've done that for the last 10 years, hey, I'm happy. I'm happy. I haven't stood still for 10 years. My life's moving on quite rapidly, thank you very much. I'm not stunted in the kingdom. Every door, you wouldn't believe what I could share with you if you wanted. Every door in the world is open out there. I'm not stunted in my growth. I'm quite fine, thank you very much. Oh yeah. But it's based upon a a challenge I faced a long time ago when Rick left. What are you going to do now, Mike? 
What are you going to do now? I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the kingdom because that's why I'm here. Amen. I'm going to serve in the kingdom. I'm going to get on with my work. And I'm going to do what the structure tells me. Who invented the church? Jesus. Who invented the structure? Jesus. I am not the boss. I am a, I'm a foot soldier in this kingdom. And I start to grow when I start to follow. I start to grow when I start to respect and obey the structure that God Almighty has given me and not behave like some child, some kid, some adolescent who still bases everything upon worldly criteria. You need to say amen. Yeah, I think you can say it a little bit better than that. Amen. We know it's right. Ridiculous. Comparison has no place in this house. Comparison is a trap, and it is a trap that will destroy you no matter which way it works. It is the business of fools. That's what it is. Don't fall for it. Don't cooperate with it. In fact, the biggest tragedy of it is that it's a ministry-stopping problem. It's a ministry-stopping problem. When you compare yourself with the singer this morning, by the way, that worship was fantastic, amen? When you compare yourself immediately with the other leaders, you're never going to be a leader. You'll always shrink back. And yet this is what people do. Joshua. The book of Joshua. Chapter 1. Verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, <coughs> thou and all this people unto the land which I will give them, even to the children of Israel, all this land, Mark, <laughs> every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness to the Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land unto the Hittites, unto the great sea, um, down to verse, where is it? What does he say? I'm not only a child. Oh yeah, verse 7. Only be thou strong and be very courageous, that thou mayest observe all according to the law, which I gave Moses, my servant, commanded. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm trying to find the part where he says, uh, oh, verse 10. Then Joshua commanded, no, that's not it. Where's the bit where he says, uh, okay, I've lost it. Never mind. I'll take verse 7. Let me take verse 7 as the example. Only be thou strong, right? Courageous and holy. These are the three things that God says to Joshua. Look up, please. Joshua was not strong. He was not holy. And he was not courageous. Who was? I'm going to wait because I want you to get it. Who was? Holy. Holy Moses. Moses was holy. Moses was strong. Moses was courageous. And Joshua has been hiding under the Moses tree for all these years. And now Moses is dead. And suddenly Joshua has to lead the thing. And the pressure of that comes down upon him. But I want you to notice how God deals with him. He doesn't send, I'm going to send you to Bible college now for the next 10 years, does he? What does he do? Please listen, folks. If you get this point, it can change your life. He didn't do that. What God did was he prophesied into him. He spoke it. Be thou strong. Be thou courageous. Be thou holy. Joshua was changed at that prophecy. He was changed at that moment. And, you know, in life, there's always there's an easy way and a hard way for everything in this life, folks. There's an easy way to proceed 
in what you're calling in God, and there's a hard way. And the easy way is when you are open in your heart to receive the word of God, and he's able to speak into you, and you're forever changed. That's the easy way. The hard way is when, but God will still use it, is when you grind it out yourself. You grind it out yourself. I prefer the prophetic way. (laughs) The creative, prophetic way. My God, the creator, is still creating. He's still making me. Still speaking into me. Amen? And he will speak into you too. Words that will change you and alter you. I told you when I, when I took over the church in Ireland, that was probably the, bit, the challenge I'm facing in London is bigger by a million miles. It's a huge challenge I face. So I'm going through the same things as all of you. I'm facing new leadership in my life. I'm, I'm leading new groups of people. Five churches in London is no joke, and they're a very different bunch than you. <laughs> a very strong bunch, very, very strong church it is. So I've got my own challenges. But, hey, it's not my first rodeo. This is not my first rodeo. My first rodeo was actually taken over from Peter Finch in Dublin. Now, some of you know Peter, but Peter is probably the nicest pastor I've ever met. He's so sweet. And I had to follow him. You know what I mean? I'm not sweet. I'm not sweet at all. <laughs> and and the, on my first day, my first day, this girl called Clet, I'll never forget her. She came up to me and she looked at me and said, hmm, you're not like Peter. Huh. And God doesn't often, obviously I get words from the Lord, but not often in retort. But that day, I tell you, my mouth opened and it was God speaking. Because I was able to just reply to her on the spot. I said, neither are you. You say, I'm not like Peter. You're not like him either. And she didn't like that. And I said, do you know what? If we made a list of the things that are in me that are like him and the things that are in you. And she said, I don't want to ask Well, you started it. You started the comparison. You know, comparison will shoot you. Comparison will bite back. If you start playing that game, you, 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 you're never going to win. In fact, I've got a slide on that, haven't I? This is the trap. If you feel better than other people, what are you going to be? Proud. And God resists the proud, and so do people. Right? People resist proud people. People don't like proud people because they have a superiority complex. But it comes from comparison. Secondly, you, you can feel better or you can feel less than. Right? And then you're going to have an inferiority complex. Either way, you lose. Either way, you're stuck and you're not going to be able because either people won't work with you or you yourself won't put yourself forward for ministry because you feel insecure. Are you with me this morning? Every one of you in this room, including me, need to spring this trap to grow. Okay? Gideon, look at the book of Judges, chapter 6. I'll show you from the scriptures. Judges, chapter 6, verse 13. Oh, I got my scriptures right this morning. I'm confused with King James. Judges, chapter 6, verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not not I sent thee? And he sent, and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family. Who? Are you listening? So here you've got Gideon. God himself is speaking to Gideon. And Gideon's first reply is, my family's not good enough. My family 
is the poorest in Manasseh, and I am the least. Comparison, comparison, comparison. First words out of his mouth. Do you get it? Whether you're aware it's Joshua, who's comparing himself to Moses, or Gideon, who's comparing himself to the other clans, these are the ministry-stopping problems. And by the way, God also prophesies and speaks into Gideon. Give me your full attention. Every time these guys can't enter ministry, can't find their calling, God speaks to them not about the way they see him. He speaks to them about the way they see themselves. It was an inside job. It was a personal problem. He tries to rectify that. In fact, in all three cases, it was successful. In all three cases, they broke free. I think the most ridiculous, crazy example I've ever seen of this in my life was, I think I shared with you before, the guy in Dublin, the handicapped boy from Korea. Unbelievable situation. That was a terrible situation for me to be in. We had an event in Dublin with many churches, and I was leading it, but I was late. I can't remember why. And everybody was in, and the meeting was like due to start, and I arrive in late, and this preacher who's come all the way from Korea, from David Yonggi Cho's church, the pastor, the biggest church in the world, has come over with his letter of recommendation that he's going to be ministering at this event. But the trouble is, the guy is a babbling idiot. He's over in the corner. He's, 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 he's not right. This guy's not right. He's, he's mentally handicapped. He's, he's, he's not right. So I arrive in, and the leaders call me aside and said, something's wrong. We've got the letter. We've got the guy, but this guy's, this guy's crazy. This guy's off his rocker. You can't use him. And I, I went over, I tried to introduce, but the guy was, I worked in a mental hospital for 10 years. This guy is not right. But he got the letter. <laughs> He's got the letter. And that was a real crisis moment for me. And I stood as the worship was going on, and I tell you, I did not make the decision until I stood up. I was 50-50. Shall I? Shall I preach? Shall I let him? Shall I not? But at the end of the day, I just thought to myself, the pastor of the biggest church in the world is probably not making a mistake. And if he blows it, I'll just take the mic off him. I said, okay, let me come. And he was fantastic. As <laughs> soon as he got up to the pulpit and he kind of got himself together, it was like a resurrection. Different person. He started to preach. And I re- remember the altar call. Because that entire place down, including me, first out of my seat, down on my face before God. Why did I compare him to other people? And you know, Scripture says, if you keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And God uses people like this because people like you don't speak. God raises up people like this because people like us don't do our job. He raises them up as an example and really to shame us. That's what he does. God forgive us. If that boy can do that, what can you do? Amen? What can you do with the abilities that he's given you? I hope you can diminish the excuses because I've got them, you've got them, we've all got them. But they have no place in us, guys. They have no place in you, no place in me. Don't compare yourself with anybody. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I, you know my story. I come from a big family. I come from nine brothers and sisters. Very, very high achievers. You know? My eldest sister, Mary, 
there was two free scholarships to Oxford from Northern Ireland. Two free places. All your accommodation, fee, everything's paid. For two people in Ireland, I think it was four or five hundred people sat the exam. She got one of the places. That's smart. She told me one of the questions was, what color is a lizard's liver? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So tough exam. But she came, one of two people from Northern Ireland's elite, to get that place. You're not doing bad. She's actually a lovely person. And I met all my other brothers and sisters, and I'm the youngest. So by the time I came along, the achievements are through the roof. And then they look at me. <laughs> but you know what? That was a, the greatest blessing. Because I looked, uh, by the time I was like 9 or 10, she was actually coming back from university. I didn't like what I saw. What had been a wonderful person, education, in this instance. Wow, that didn't do you any good, did it? I don't know if I want that, to be honest, in my life. And then the next one comes back. I don't like that either. They were better before they left, to be honest with you. Just telling you the truth. I'm not speaking against education. Get an education. But I'm not going to give my life for it. So I can bring my certificate home to mommy. No, sir. I've only got one. I've only got one life. And I'm not going to compromise it. We need church planters. There's not, do you know what Jesus said? Pray for laborers to go into the harvest field. Those laborers are listening to my voice right now. So don't shut me down. Don't shut me down, baby. Don't shut me down. I pray you open your ears in these last moments, last days, even last minutes, the way things are going. The last objection was Jeremiah. We all know this one very well. God spoke to Jeremiah and called him. Let me read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 7. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 7. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And therefore, before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak. For what? I am... I'm too young. I'm only a baby. I'm only a child. I can't do this. And God's response to him is, don't say that. Don't say that. When I was in Singapore, I met a guy who was telling me that, we, I told you the church we planted just outside Dublin about 15 years ago, the church planters were three couples. The youngest was 58, and the other five were all well over 60. They gave up their careers, their jobs. One of them was a very wealthy building coordinator in Hawaii. And they gave up. The three of them decided to do something for God. Not for their, all their lives. Just for a year or two. One year it was. They went to Dublin and they planted this church. Today it's about 200 people there. In that church. They're long gone. They went back to their career. Fine. No problem. Amen. In VFC we have this policy. Every person can give one year. Every person can give one year and then go back to your career. No, no, no problem. Can you imagine those couples when they die? That man's built hospitals, schools. He's a government constructor. And he walks up before Jesus, and it's award time. <coughs> Jesus, I built the hospital. Did you, see, did you see the hospital I built? Did you, see, did you see the school I built? What's he going to say to Jesus? Did you see the church in heaven? Hallelujah. Don't let the last thing you learn in life be what should have been the first. 
You've always got to be willing to reconstruct your life. You've always got to be willing to start again. We've always got to be willing to, to, to say, do you know what? I'm, I'm not going to take this road I've been on all these years. I'm actually going to change this. I'm going to determine to take a different route, a different path. That's a glorious day. They call it rebellious. Uh, I call it common sense. Just common sense. Just biblical sense. Have your Bible in, please. When Jesus, thank you, when Jesus walked into the temple and he was reading from the scriptures, when he finished reading from this book, remember what he said to the crowds? <laughs> it's fantastic. He said, these are the scriptures that speak of me. That's what he said. He had read them, and a wonderful thing. He said, these are the scriptures that speak about me. This is my story, his story, his story. Well, I tell you what, folks. These are also the scriptures that speak about who? You. These, this is the book that speaks about you. These are the promises also for you. And the day has to come when this word is not just in your hand, like with the 11 apostles, but the day has to come when this word is truly yours. When you embrace it, not just in your hand or in your head, but it gets into your heart. Are you listening? The word in your hand doesn't change you. The word in your head doesn't change you. Knowledge isn't it. Read Romans. It's the heart. There's a difference between your head and your heart. I repeat, there's a difference in my head and my heart. What is in my heart changes me. What is in my head puffs me up and does nothing. It's just knowledge. Let me give you an example, particularly to those of you who are married. To the men, for example. Years ago, you walked into a room and you saw a beautiful girl. And you thought, she's gorgeous. Look at her. But it was in your head. And three weeks, four weeks go by, you look again and say, yeah, she's all right. It's not too bad. But, you know. It's in your head. It's in your head. But another day came when you walked in a room and you saw another girl. She's now your wife. You saw another girl and you thought, she's all right. But it moved from your head to your heart. And what enters your heart changes your behavior. So when God says, don't put my word on this shelf, don't carry my word under your arm. Put my word in your heart. What he's talking about, because God knows the only word that changes us is not this one. It's the one that we actually take in. The one that will change you. It will alter your entire future if you let it in. If you let it in. I've been up here for 25 years. You know that? I've been preaching 25 years. And in that time, you learn some things. Because one day, I, 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 you know, I was frustrated. I said to God, what on earth is wrong? I tell you this, Lord, I do bring the word. I do. I know I do. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know I do. So if I'm bringing the word, what on earth is wrong with a lack of growth? Why did it take me 15 years to figure that out? Huh? It's the soil. You're sowing the seed. But if that soil does not want to receive the word, then that, the birds of the air is what scripture says. It will come and take it away. And I can sow fresh seed every week 
But if your heart is not open, if it just goes in your head, then nothing's ever going to change for you. The birds of the air, problems of this life, steal his word. By the time you get to the front door, actually. So right now, I hope your heart is open. And that word is living in this room. It's living, ringing in your ears, in your head. I want you to open your heart. Maybe for some of you for the first time to be willing to let that 13 centimeter drop take place where it actually changes your behavior. Amen? So I wonder who. I wonder who in this place is going to be a head person or a heart person. Guard thine heart. Sing ye, thank you. Guard, in fact, Scripture not only says that, it says, above all else, above everything in the whole world, guard thine heart. For that's where the seed is, that's where the fruit comes out of. I want to think about your confession. I think about mine. I have a confession to make. I, I speak every day. And I need to make sure that what I say and what I do is correct and lines up with Scripture. I need to make sure that I'm speaking the Word of God, the news of the Word, and not the news of the world. I need to make sure that my confession is right, and I need to start believing like the Apostle John did. I need to start believing what he's saying of me. God, help us to do this. Help us to... Take your word. David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, when I said to my friend, I tried to matchmake him with that girl, I found out what was in his heart. And what was in his heart was low self-esteem, unbelief in himself, a low opinion of himself. I never would have known that. And if I gave you a private piece of paper that no one will ever see, I gave you a pen and a piece of paper, and I say to you, write on it who you are. I mean, really. I don't mean something to present to church. No one will ever see it. It's just your perspective of you. Do you know what some would be? Some of those lists would say this. I'm a failure. I never really... I never really did it, did I? Never made it. Never quite made the mark. Other people did. Paul did. But I never really did. Some of the lists would say that. Other lists, do you know what they would say? I'm excellent. <laughs> I'm absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I'm the best thing since I pray. Delusional in both cases. Both based upon comparison. And that's the trap. You've got to rid yourself of it. You've got to, it's like leaven. You've got to get it out of your mind, out of your system, by getting the word in your heart, and then eventually God will take hold of you. Just stay still, pay attention. You know, when you're up here, you get X-ray eyes, and I can see the word. I can see God speaking to some of you right now. I can see it. He's ministering in this room. The Holy Spirit's here talking to you. Don't silence him. That's 
terrible. Don't silence the Lord. Let him speak. Let him do his work. Jesus. Turn your sheet over to the reverse side. So on your piece of paper would have been written certain things. But there are other lists. There's another list that God gives. Sorry, forgive me. I forgot to say something which is critical. So just give me your full attention for one moment. I apologize. When you're at a funeral or something like that, or someone is making a speech, you will often hear them say these words. It is an honor and a... And a privilege. You say, it is an honor and a privilege to be here and to do that or whatever. Well, it probably isn't. Um, in most cases, it probably isn't. Do you know what an honor is? Do you know the difference between an honor and a privilege? An honor is a recognition you get for something that you've done. You deserve an honor. A privilege is something afforded to you for what you haven't done. They're different. So most of the time, it's not actually an honor at all because we haven't done anything. It's actually all privilege. And as we read these scriptures, I want you to get rid of the list of the world's criteria for receiving them because you can't do that. Not according to thine works. Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, don't you know that we're all called not by your works, not by your education, but by the grace of God? It's a privilege. And the soil that receives... The heart that receives the word is a heart that is totally aware that this is no honor. I do not deserve this. This is nothing but a privilege, the grace of God to me. That's what this is. Do you understand me? Are you with me? My heart must be humbled and broken by rejecting comparison to anyone. I must be realistic about who I am and what I am before a holy God. And such a soil, such a heart that is broken soil, a broken vessel, to that heart, the word can easily enter malleable soil and that person will grow. That person will grow. You've just got to guard the seed once you get it in. So as we read this list, don't you dare say that you deserve it because you don't. As we read this list, I pray that these words are received by you. What does God say that you are? Father, I pray that everyone here and everyone listening to this recording will receive these scriptures prophetically. You are the salt of the earth. That's what God says. You are the light of the world. You are a child of God, a friend of God. A temple for the Holy Ghost. You have been united with Christ. You're a new creation. We're members of his bodies, heirs and saints. We are God's own workmanship and citizens of heaven. We have been made righteous in Christ and we are hidden with Christ in God. That's what God says about you and about me. And on the other side, I need to change my confession. Why should I say I can't when God says I can? Why should I lack when God says He will supply all my needs? Why should I fear when God says He did not give me a spirit of fear? Why should I feel weak when God says He, had made me, he is my strength? 
Why should I allow any victory in my life when God says that he, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Why should I tolerate defeat when God says he will always lead me in triumph? Why should I worry, amen, when God says to cast all my burdens on him? And why should I feel alone when God says he will never leave me and never forsake me? Bow your heads. I want you to shut down your mind, if you know what I mean. Your earthly way of thinking. And I want you to get in. You're born again. Get in touch with the spirit within you. Father, I pray you would spiritually awaken us. We would see ourselves as you see us. Help us, God. These things that you say about me, these are the scriptures that speak about us, God. And this morning we plant these seeds in our heart. We reject the criteria of the world and the ways of men. We ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Guard our hearts, Lord. Above all, guard our hearts. And Lord, I pray you would call from this place to the mission field, to the ministry field. Send forth your word this morning as you did to Gideon, as you did to Joshua. And Jeremiah, all three said, I can't go. But your word made a way. And all three succeeded. Because God was with them.